So you know how he's his extraditions from the Bahamas? Yeah. So when I'm looking at the picture of him getting arrested, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. There's a white boy getting arrested by four black dudes. <laughs> there you go. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Did you dare to go outside this week, Skippity? Yeah, I loved it, man. It's great out. What, what, what did you love? I mean, it changes seasons. It's boring if it's always sunny and 72. Okay, sure, but that's a different that's different than not sunny and negative 72. Like there's a there is a there's a spectrum and it seems like you're just ignoring the whole spectrum. You're not like in the cold snap hair, Dougals? No, it's not it's it, cold snap is everywhere. Cold snap is everywhere and it's just too cold. It's just too dagnab cold. I mean, I saw something, I'm going to get the the number wrong here, but I saw a stat that said something like 200 cities in the US are having their like record low highs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? This week I'm just like, too much. Too much. Well, and I should mention that uh Diggles is really really going above and beyond here. He's currently in maybe one of those cities in a power outage. And we are still recording the podcast. So we'll ask for your sympathy if the uh, sound quality isn't perfect. Yeah. It's chilly. Ain't got no purr, ain't got no earn it, but we do, we, we got to be here for y'all. We got to <laughs> be here for y'all. you say purr and earn it? Yeah. Is that, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> All right. Uh, you know how I love that Marvin Gaye song about inflation? It's like the greatest <laughs> song ever. I found a, I found a song this week by Blackstar on their new album where they, rap about a stop loss order and man am i digging that too in really good times what's the lyric oh i mean i just basically i had it on the background i'll 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 do some homework bring back the exact lyric next week um i think he talks about his accountant stop loss order but yeah i'm just you know minding my own business doing some financial analysis etc and then i hear stop loss order uh coming from the speakers (laughs) Right. Into your ear holes? That's wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful. Love it. Oh, well, I think I mentioned last year that uh, It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite Christmas movie and one of my favorite movies. And yes, I know it's slow and it takes two and a half hours of your life. So you've seen it, right, Douglas? Of course. Run on the banks. Okay. Perfect. So I understand the criticism. The Wall Street Journal did a really awesome article this week about it's a wonderful life but it's about so much more and the the quote i want to start with that and then i'll give you the backstory on why this movie is uh one of the top 10 most in demand movies in a second so here's the quote wall street silicon valley and so many industries in between are built on the idea that success can be predicted but no amount of data financial resources or technology can eliminate the mysteries of chance. Mm. Now, why is that quote in an article about It's a Wonderful Life? Do you know? No, you tell me. The way movies used to work is you'd have a copyright for 28 years. 
And if you didn't do the paperwork to renew that copyright, then it became public domain. It's a Wonderful Life was such a flop for the first 28 years of its life that no one bothered to renew the copyright because basically it was a loss engine rather than a money printing machine. So if you talk about It's a Wonderful Life, the movie as a business, it did its first 30 years loss making and people said, who cares? What happened on that point when the movie became public domain is the network TV shows picked it up and started playing it because it was free to them. That's the only reason. What that did is created 20 years where you got this movie in front of people's eyeballs and it became a cult classic and now is one of the most popular and most liked Christmas movies. They did some creative things with the law where now they actually do make money off the plane of the movie and uh, the merchandise and everything else. But I would argue the entire reason this movie is popular is chance. That's wild. I didn't realize that, first of all. And there are there are like a, a few examples of stuff like that that kind of come to mind that goes back to the quote, right, that you said at the beginning. Like, I, I remember, I'm going to get some of the stats wrong because it's been a while, but I remember, you know, Amgen, the biotech company? Yeah. There was something where Amgen, like the way they found their chief scientist was he was like somewhere in Asia and like happened to check this like classified ad that someone randomly tossed out. Right. Because they were like desperately looking for like anyone that could do science that I'm exaggerating a little bit there. But it was like yeah. something like that. And so they found this guy around the world who was like happened to see this ad that came in and like Amgen became Amgen. You know, it's it's so to the point of that uh, that quote you had. It is kind of wild. This, though, I didn't realize I had no idea. 30 years, 28 years. Right. It was just like I I'd kind of imagine this was something that since it came out right, had everyone's attention and had been almost, a, you know, a hundred years or whatever. I don't know, I can't remember when it came out, but um, in, it came yeah, out in popular the late forties. Yeah. So for 80 years, I thought for 80 years, you know, this was a, a piece, but you're saying it basically went from the forties to like the seventies with no one caring. Yep. I mean, I had no idea. It was a huge flop when it first opened, they lost money and goes from there that the point why I find this interesting, it's not only because I like the movie, it's that element of chance, right? And the fact that everyone, I think Silicon Valley is the easiest example. Everyone sits around trying to say, oh, this is the next big thing. And chance just plays such an important role in these things. In this article alone, they mentioned the discovery of penicillin as an accident similar to this when Alexander Fleming goes on holiday in 1928. Um, popsicles were discovered by accident, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's just uh, tons of this stuff. So I think it's an important reminder that you can't plan everything out. And uh, sometimes you're just along for the ride. You cannot underestimate that. And this, this gets back that whole point. It gets back to one of the things that we talk about a whole lot, which is you, you need to make sure that you have what it you're, you're not set up basically to hit the death line. Let me just say it like bluntly, right? Like that's being over leveraged, all that kind of stuff when it comes to investing because there's so much chance and it goes both ways, right? So you got to be prepped. Yeah, Ooh, absolutely. That's powerful. I did not, I had no idea where you were going when you started talking about It's a Wonderful Life and did not think that's where it was. So more power to you. <laughs> Love it. What's in your fishbowl? All right, I'm going to reach in. FTX is all over the news, right? I am, this doesn't sound right. 
But I'm just saying I'm loving that and Mick loving. I am Mick loving the fact that the like, I don't know, lieutenants besides Sam Bankman Freed just like flipped. Like, do not. It seemed like it took like no effort, no extradition necessary. No one needed to like, I don't know. They they just they went, yep, guilty. Right. Like immediately. <laughs> There's no. And uh, and his I'm going to say ex-girlfriend because it sounds. Uh, yeah, it know, sounds like sounds it. juicier. Um, but it, it did seem like they they at least had some kind of intimacy going on. But it was Gary Wang and then uh, Caroline Ellison was the person that that you brought up how she was in that video talking about. You don't even need math to manage risk. Um, she was the CEO yep. at one point of Alameda. And so the two of them just basically went, we guilty. You know what? And he guilty too. came out and just said it. I thought it would take something, right? Like a little bit of effort, but nah, it's getting me going. McLovin. Okay. So when we talk FTX, the thing we didn't talk about on the pod, but I think you and I talked about independently is there, I was pulling it up. They're like hundred thousand dollar bar bill at Margaritaville in the Bahamas. Yes, yes. Um, but yes, everyone's like, I I still haven't followed this closely because it's so depressing. But let's talk about everyone flipping. I get. I guess I'd say that's good because to me, it's obvious that everyone that touched this thing in a leadership position seems guilty as can be. But. How does he have a quarter of a billion dollars laying around to post his bail? Do you have any ideas? I assume maybe coming from his parents. His parents have that much money? I don't know. But I, I don't know where else it would come from. Like, I have no idea. He, did you see maybe, he's allowed? Maybe to, Kevin O'Leary? Uh, shop on, he's, he's allowed to shop online, but he can't spend more than $1,000 at a time. What would <laughs> how does How does that conversation come up? Like I didn't realize that was one of the line it's, items, like in the checklist. It's part of his bail. He he can uh, he can hang out in his parents' yard. Or also, I don't know how old he, he's. Like thirty, right? How would you feel if you if someone banished you to your parents' house? To me, that would almost be like jail. If I was thirty years old, it's the only safe place he has. I mean, he wasn't he texting with his parents about his guilt, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I. Uh, I don't know where he's getting the $250 million from, but I just thought in contrast to, you know, how he's, he was coming out and saying like, it's ignorance. We didn't mean to do this stuff. Right. It's just like negligence. We were too young and inexperienced. You know, he's coming out with all that stuff. And then Caroline's like, yeah, we knew we was taking that money and doing the wrong thing. Like just straight up. I just go, Ooh, like that's not going to turn out well for him. He has, I read somewhere. He, he's facing potential jail time of like 125 years or, or something like that between all the charges. Wow. That's not going to happen, right? Of course. But like, it is kind of wild. I assume part of this might have to do with the fact that it's like multinational, you know, like when, when you, I don't know, when you start to add in stuff like that, you like, it becomes racketeering. I don't know, at some point, I'm sure it probably has some, something to do with all that stuff, but it's a lot of jail time. There is still this, um, Gosh, I don't know if it's wrong or right or just frustrating or the person that, you know, is down on their luck and stole milk from the local gas station might get thrown into a curb or whatever. And he yeah. steals billions of dollars and puts on his suit and, you know, flies first class. Every It just it's amazing how different we treat 
people in this country and and typically the people that have money are just in a different class when it comes to their treatment and that's yeah. weird i don't know that he yeah i'm not a yeah. fan unfortunately yeah I, I fully agree and what i'm about to say is messed up so this is just no doubt about this but i still got enjoyment out of this so you know how he's his extraditions from the bahamas yeah right so when i'm looking at the picture of him getting arrested i don't think i've ever seen anything like this before there's a white boy getting arrested by four black dudes <laughs> <There it goes. laughs> and what were your have, thoughts have you ever have you ever in your life seen a picture like that <laughs> yes i have where yes. name one place in the bahamas <laughs> in the, yeah, yes <laughs> oh man uh, anyway uh what, what's what's next for you okay i want to stay on the the holiday theme do you know Santa, actually being Santa, has 42% wage growth since 2015, outpacing wage growth in leisure and hospitality, uh, which was about 35%, all workers, which was about 24%, and managers, which was about 19%. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Tell me if I'm, this is spoiler alert, I apologize, but Santa's not real. (laughs) What? Stop it. So when you say Santa's wage growth, do you mean like in a mall? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I just, I didn't want to be the one to break it to you. That's that's the whole thing. So you're saying that the people that dress up like Santa, people sitting on their laps asking for Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur back in the 1980s, that individual has had the the largest wage growth, most consistent wage growth. What was the the stat? Not most consistent, largest wage growth. Their wages, the the dude sitting in the mall, according to the New York Times, um, their wage has grown more than 40% since 2015. In seven years? Yeah. It's good to be Santa. (laughs) Why? Is there, did you get an explanation for this? Like, is there a you? You know, I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive on the article, but let me just speculate here. Um, Who would want to sit in a mall with a bunch of German-infested kids uh, and listen to what they want for Christmas? You'd have to pay me a pretty penny to yeah. do that. So I, I would, think I don't know. I, I would have guessed it would have been rodent mitigators. But <laughs> he, you know what? Every year I laugh at SantaCon. You know SantaCon? No. <laughs> So SantaCon, it's across the the U.S. in different cities. People will dress up like Santa and walk around. I laugh at this, but now I realize this actually was a Santa conference. This is what they've been doing. It's like collective bargaining. This must have been a unit of Santas. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, this explains the wage growth. You know what? You also just destroyed the listener mail portion of the show because one of my sons asked me, um, how Santa manages his money. I was going to do a deep dive on it, and now I can't even let him listen to this episode because you're going around here spoiling people's Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize. I didn't realize Hi, I hypothetically, for how do you, you think Santa manages his money? How does he manage it, huh? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, I know he's probably got cold, hard cash. Was that? I mean, I, I was because he lives in like the North the envelope Pole. system. Ah, jokes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got more of them too. 
How, how does he manage his money? One big yearly expenditure, right? Lots of R&D spending on the balance sheet. I don't know. I'd like to do a deep dive because if you think about it, Santa's finances are probably just as fa- fascinating as his operations. It, it, you know, the thing that he probably has to pay a lot of attention to is likely population growth and household growth. That, that's, oh, so he's like a macro investor in a way. I mean, that kind of has to be, which brings up, sorry, I'm, I'm going to switch gears for a second. We can come back. It brings up the fact that in this month, so I guess actually for November, but but coming out this month, we had the 10th straight month of U.S. home sales declines, right? That's a thing that that yep. Santa would have to follow because you got to know how many different places on the expenditure list. You got to know how many different places um, you got to stop by. And so are new, are people buying new houses? Are people consolidating? More people uh, moving in with their families? Santa's all up on that stuff. I bet you're right. And you know, I'm looking at a housing graph right, right here. It goes back to 2016. Existing home sales uh, hover generally around five and a half million. Um, and I believe these are monthly figures, right? Five and a half million a month across the US. During March 2020, basically, they dropped all the way down to 4 million. And then post that, you spiked at almost 7 million. And you hovered for the last um, year or so, you hovered in that maybe six to six and a half million uh, range. This is total number of homes sold. Now, Dougals, this is hard for me to believe. We're back at the 4 million figure, which is basically the March 2020 lows. Um, wow. This really? decline is steep. What you're, but you're saying for, for new sales, right? Not home prices? Or is this home prices? This is a U.S. existing home sales. Yeah. Um, now, March prices obviously are correlated here. But yeah. yes, the amount of homes sold in March 2020, 4 million. The amount of homes sold last month. Four million and ninety. That is so hard to believe. Like no one was going outside. Yeah, right. Like no one would even tour a house, and that's the frequency at which homes are uh, changing. And you mentioned the ten straight months of decline. What's crazy to me when you look at this graph is how the slope of the decline is almost on par with what happened in the COVID period. Like this is a drastic adjustment. Um, that I believe is almost entirely driven by interest rates. Yeah, I would assume so. The other, the other piece, because the prices you mentioned, you know, um, the price is probably going to be in line, but they're lagging. I would assume here, because when I think about the amount of supply that's probably been built over the last two years, if demand is where it was then when supply was low, I'm sure supply is a lot higher now. So, I mean, that that is a recipe for disaster. If that's true. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a tough one to speculate. And I think we'd almost need a real estate expert to explain the ins and outs of the the market because it's so variable, right? I know a lot of people that thought about selling with the interest rate rise have realized what that has done to the price they can get for their home. And therefore, they haven't actually put the thing on the market. So I don't think supply is off the charts um, at the moment, but we could do a follow-up. We could do some research on that. Yeah. Mm. Interesting stuff, though. Anything else you want to touch on with Santa? I took you. I know I took you off the Santa train. <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> I do like your joke. Cold hard cash is a good one. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you, you came around to it eventually. 
okay, I'm going to reach into the bowl. And it's what the last week of the year basically coming up here. And so let's close it out with Kathy Wood. Was that okay? If I have to. Okay. So Kathy came out with this, whatever, letter, memo, whatever it is, called Disruptive Innovation and Profitability. And the thesis of this piece is you say that we've got this these profitless tech companies out there, but really, really what it is, is they aren't making profit yet. And when they do, it's going to be blowing everything else out the water, right? But you got to invest up front. The theme of that is, I think, pretty simple and sure, right? Like companies do that all the time, right? You have to invest up front, so you're not going to make money. Where Wait, I think... Sorry, uh, sorry, before we even get in, if, if that hypothesis comes true and you do this upfront investment and then you make these crazy profit margins, as soon as you're making the crazy profit margins, your competitors see that and say, they're making $3 for every dollar we make. We're shifting strategy to go steal their market share. And it becomes very short-lived. Like it's not one of these things. And sorry, because I always get fired up about Kathy, but it's not one of these things where then you just print money forever. Then you have to fend off 10 other companies that are going to do what you're trying to do. And it's very short-lived. Yeah, that's not wrong. Let, let me, can, I, can I quote here for a moment? Yeah. There, uh, when I start this, the first word is going to be they, and it's just saying the people out there, the critics of ARC is what she's referring to. Okay. They describe stocks and ARC's strategies as concept capital and suggest that our investment team either cannot distinguish profitable companies from unprofitable ones or seeks to invest in unprofitable companies. Let's, let's stop there. there. There's a couple more lines that are gold in here. But I think it's an option three <laughs> is really... Like, I don't think anyone says that they don't know how to look at someone's income statement and see whether the bottom line is negative or positive. No, no one thinks that. I mean, I, I'll, I'm happy to be in the they and that. They seem <laughs> to be great at identifying the bottom line that's negative. Awesome job. Yeah. And then that, that's their or. Or it's that they seek to invest in unprofitable companies. I also don't think that they seek to invest in unprofitable companies. I, I think it's an option three that they are just buck wild risk taking, like living 30 years from now in the future, bad investment managers. I don't like, I don't know what else to say there, but to me, it's not that they can't distinguish between unprofitable and profitable. I think they can do that. And it's not that they necessarily seek to invest in unprofitable companies. There are a lot of companies that are unprofitable that they don't invest in. Right. So it's not just that it's it's to me, it's just delusion. It's like investment delusion, which is door number three. That's my view. Here's where Kathy Wood, I think, really brings on the heat because this is whew, this is risque. Companies catering to short term oriented investors, <laughs> which is not what she's about to describe, by the way, but companies catering to short term oriented investors and leveraging their balance sheets to pay dividends or manufacture earnings with share repurchases, do not seem to us to be investing enough to catch these waves of innovation. As a result, we believe many are likely to be disrupted, if not destroyed. Destroyed, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this mean, is cool. Th Thanks, there's, Kathy. What am I supposed to say to this? There's so much in this. For, for one thing, 
she's referring to organizations that quote unquote leverage their balance sheets, which is a dangerous term I think to use here, but that pay dividends or do share repurchases as short short term oriented. Okay. I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but a lot of those CEOs, those leadership teams, when they're buying back shares, uh, think they're acting in the long-term best interest of their owners. And I agree with them in a lot of cases. And the, the thing is that there's, you always have to have a balance between short-term and long-term, right? As we, we both believe, it's thinking about the long-term. At the same time, if you're not around tomorrow, the long-term doesn't matter. Yep. So if your company, like we've, we've mentioned before when we talked about Kathy Wood, that she might be right in the long term, that some of these organizations are going to, their, their technology is going to catch hot fire and they're going to blast off, right? She might be right. If she's right about that in 30 years and they can't generate enough cash to pay their, their bills tomorrow, it does not matter. I guess. So I, I, it just feels so dangerous. And then, so that, that's the premise. What she then does, and I'm just going to say this in brief. Did you, did you read this memo, by the way? No. I okay. have better things to do, Diggles. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. He, here's my view on what she does. And if any of the listeners uh, feel differently, if they feel like I'm, I'm butchering what she tries to do for the rest of this, please let me know. But here's, here's what she basically does. If she says, um, this is not a quote. This is my, my summary. She's saying, according to Gap, these organizations are not profitable. But if you if you look at the profitable versions of these companies and act as if they have the same profit margins, now look at how much profit they're making. I repeat. Okay. Say that again. <laughs> and then I'll give an example. So she says, yes, these companies, according to Gap, are not profitable. But imagine that they have similar like operating profit margins to companies that are profitable and now look at how profitable they are oh shut up yes <laughs> Come can we take the month of january off kathy wood i can't handle her anymore <laughs> like in in fantasy land, imagine if i had pixie dust then i could fly like make some money have money in your bank account that shows you're a good business otherwise i don't have time for you yeah, like Zoom, according to her, has many billion, billions of dollars in profit when you adjust their unprofitability and make it profitable. Like, Gosh. what do you do with this? Okay, we can switch off. I'm just saying, what do you do with this? I was looking at this. And it's not, you know what, what's interesting, though, is that the methodology that she uses in here, maybe not the specific, but the broad methodology that she uses in here is one that I do think is useful when you're looking at a particular, it can be useful if you're being careful and looking at a particular business. Meaning if you were analyzing the financials of a certain business and you can see like a trajectory of where they're investing, you look at what the management philosophy is and you go, actually, okay, I think in three years, given how they're investing here, this might turn profitable. Now let me look at a, a public company that's been around for a little bit longer and then start to see where that profit margin could get to and then what it could be worth to get a future valuation. Like, I think that that is a fine general methodology, but you should be really careful with it. She applies this methodology to her entire portfolio. No, so I understand the thought process. And I think as a thought experiment, it can make sense. But I've told you before, it's really hard based on history to see a company actually flip the switch from losing money to making money 
that's not a guaranteed. It's hard. It's really easy to lose money, right? And <laughs> that journey to profit is not guaranteed. So I make companies prove it before they're going to get my money. And it's a that's a it's a risk philosophy, right? Get that. All right, we we can move off Kathy though. We can move off of her, but I I feel like I had to bring that up because there was too much nonsense in the LBC. Love it. I need to break down an idea with you. I need you to validate what's going in my head. It's specifically about gift card sales at the end of the year. So I have this crazy thought. It's based on personal experience, which is always scary. So I want you to validate or tear this idea to shreds. Have you seen or partaken in any of these like buy a $100 gift card, get uh, $20 back or, you know, those sort of things? Mm -hmm. Um, Would you do you believe those things are more popular today than they were 10 or 20 years ago? Oh, that's hard to know. Um, Sure. I have no idea, but I'll say yes. I mean, I never really remember it. Maybe they always have been. But I feel like in the last decade, this gained a lot of steam so much so that like the restaurants that my family enjoys, we will almost always now in December buy some deals where you're getting that 10 to 20% off because we know we're going to use it in the next year. Right. So you know me, I can't make a purchase without analyzing what's happening to their financial statements, right? So think about these companies, whether it's restaurants wait, wait, or- Wait, hold on, hold on, sorry. <laughs> Are you telling me before you go to Chili's, you <laughs> look at their 10K? <laughs> no, that no, <laughs> that would be really depressing. No, it's if I'm at Chili's and I'm throwing down 50 bucks and they're giving me 10 for free, I'm going- why do you guys need, why are you giving me $60 worth of value for 50 bucks? Why do you need this so bad? Like that's just going on in the back of my head, right? Okay. And what I think is happening, what I'm pretty confident is happening is these management teams are trying to pull revenue forward. Uh, they're making a short-term decision by sacrificing the long-term. Because when I show up in March to spend that $60, it already hit their books in 2022. Well, I'm going to spend it in 2023. This is going to improve the look and feel of their financials, depending on how they do the accounting, but I'm pretty confident they're going to recognize the income in 2022. And then basically they're sacrificing the future for the current. I think this is a short-term decision and I'm slightly alarmed at how frequent this has become because I think it tells you about the average health of the American business. Now, am I just in crazy town? Uh, no, probably not crazy town, but I would assume I could be very wrong, right? We're speculating here on the accounting practices, but I would assume that this helps them from a cash flow perspective, but not from a revenue it, perspective. Well, no. So I don't think the cash flow assumption we need to assume. like it absolutely more cash comes in the door. Yeah. Um, they but basically would, get a prepaid collection and then they have an expense that's going to come due at a later date. And I assume that they recognize that revenue over, if not 12 months, over some period of time that their auditors would say, what's the average amount of time someone comes into cash in a gift card? Sure, sure. Right? So what's the, what do you think is the short-term thinking in that? Anytime I see a product discounted, it tells you something. So think about buying a jacket, right? We talked about before. If, if everything on the website is 50% off, that probably tells you something about their inventory levels. If these restaurants are so eager to give me $60 worth of value for $50, doesn't that tell you something? Here would be my assumption. And you might just be right. But here would be my assumption. I would assume 
that so on you they probably like it doesn't work out well for them right like they're losing money on you because you're coming in knowing that you're coming back to applebee's right yep. and you're gonna you're gonna buy it but there has to be um, well, they're either really like messing themselves up or they have to assume enough breakage like people not actually using their gift card before it expires for it to work out i would assume no so Okay, this is awesome. I love that you went there because this is where I was going next. So there is a fair amount of people that are never going to use their gift card or buy the $50 gift card, only have the $42 meal and never come back to spend the last eight bucks, right? So my next question is simply, do they make those sort of margins on gift cards that they're not actually giving me any money free? Because when you look at all the consumers that take part in these gift card raffles, uh, they come out on top, even if they give away a little value. Um, that's one thing that I guess I need to do some research on. Because if so, I don't know why they don't do this year round rather than, in my opinion, it seems like this only happens in December. Because people are giving the gift cards as gifts as opposed to buying it for themselves. Look at you using logic over there. <laughs> gift cards as gifts? What? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I know. Well, it's di it's different than gift cars, right? <laughs> We're getting to gift cars. That's uh, next in the fishbowl. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> go for it, dude, because I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So the gift car, uh, leaving the D off, people, leaving the D off. The gift car point can actually go in two directions because one is Tesla's given all sorts of discounts right now, speaking of discounts, and that's not a thing they usually really do. The second is that there was this article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about, the, you know, those big bows that they have uh, in the commercials, like the Lexus commercials. They put the yeah, big bow on. This is on the best article I read this week. This is yeah. amazing, Diggles. Yeah. The, the bow sales are down 35%. Big, large bow sales are down something like 35% this year. And so they're saying, if you're not selling big bows, you're not selling cars, right? And vice versa. I just, I think it's really interesting looking at the, what do I call this? I'll say like proxy businesses that uh, that can either be either a lagging indicator or sometimes a leading indicator of sales of other other things. I thought this was really fascinating. Yeah. So US car sales this year are projected to reach 13.7 million, whereas last year they were 14.9. Uh, um, they talked to, I think it was four different manufacturers of big bows. And these are the bows that go on top of cars. The way this story is written is just so incredibly well done. So first of all, in 1999, Lexus first ran their December to Remember sales commercials featuring a big bow on a car. And to be honest, I don't know where they got that first bow, but that created an industry where they're now able to call up four different companies. And all these companies do is make bows basically to put on cars at the holiday season. Isn't that crazy? I think so. And but you know what really got me is there was there was a stat in there that were might have just been one dealership. I can't remember if this was an aggregate or just one dealership. They were saying something like 15% of their December car, car sales were for gifts previously. Yeah, th that's true. And, and a lot of those gifts come with bows. And did you know you can either, <laughs> you can rent the bow, like you can rent the bow from the dealership or you can buy the bow. Dougals, if you're buying a bow, 
How much a giant bow to put on top of a car? How much do you think it costs? Well, well, hold on. Sorry, <laughs> can I, just to back up for a second. Can you imagine giving somebody a car and then being like, "But can I get that bow back?" <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine giving someone a car with a bow on top. <laughs> I'm guessing the bow—it's a thousand-dollar bow <laughs> between four fifty and eight hundred. <laughs> This is, $800 for a bow. This is wild. But going going back to the thing that got me with the 15% is I've never thought about giving somebody a car. <laughs> the world, so 15% just felt really high. Now, I can understand in some circumstances, like I could see maybe for like a, a parent, right? Or for like either, you know, like an aging parent or for uh, like your kid's first car or something like that. Those are the two circumstances. But 15% just felt really high to me. Like are people just buying cars for like their friends with their bitcoins, or like you know what I mean? Or is this is it all the parental stuff? I think you're forgetting about how America works. It's not like people <laughs> go save up their forty to fifty thousand dollars and then go write a check and then bring home a car. What giving a car means is I went and signed some paperwork and agreed to sacrifice a significant sum of money every month for the next five years. A gift just means I have, I know how to write my name. <laughs> it's probably Fair. for the people Fair that enough. went to Target and couldn't find a good gift. And we're just like, oh, I guess we'll just go sign up a piece of paper. Call again. What else can I get quickly today? Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. How else? Oh, you don't want a car. That's actually easy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it. I love it. All right. One last piece of twi- trivia. And I know you read the article, so you probably get it. Do you know the other increasing demand for large bows there's one other thing sometimes people put bows on Ooh, i don't remember this one houses yeah people are putting bows on houses now (sighs) which is even a bigger bow i think that bow could cost (laughs) a thousand bucks (laughs) there's so much ridiculous commerce that goes into our economy wild it's great though can you imagine owning a company that makes bows to put on cars you're like you literally sit around for 10 months of a year just twiddling your thumbs and then you hope the economy's healthy in december oh all right i got i got one more like real real quick hit okay there's nothing even really to talk about i don't think here but i saw this week that the quote-unquote market cap of dogecoin passed coinbase as a reminder, this was a current, I have to put quotes around everything, quote unquote this, quote unquote was, quote unquote a, quote unquote joke. Dogecoin, you mean? Dogecoin. Well, maybe both at this point. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, Dogecoin was a, of the currency made as a joke. I don't want to offend you because I know you were a prior major investor in Dogecoin. But <laughs> that's right. No, I still have some. I think I have a hundred oh, you bucks do? worth. You're free yeah. riding? I, I, I and again, there's not really a lot to talk about because it doesn't really matter. Like it's not like a real market cap. There's nothing backing it up. I was just kind of like, whoa, I don't even know what to do with that, right? Like Dogecoin. Anyway, that was it. I saw it. It struck my mentals. Yeah, I think again, you're right. There's no, there's no like the proper thing is not to talk about this because it's kind of meaningless. But I would say that you should have if that bothers you, you should have that reaction with all things that have a market cap less than dogecoin now coinbase is the easy one because they're both in the crypto space but like any company that makes a profit that 
has a market cap less than Dogecoin should bother you. It probably does, Doogles. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're probably true. Or sorry, you're probably right. For some reason, because Coinbase is an exchange where you can buy Dogecoin, it it like hit me in a different way. But it doesn't logically. It shouldn't make a difference. You're right. You're absolutely right. I don't know. I. <laughs> And, and so Coinbase has a market cap of $9 billion. Anything less than that, a joke coin that has very limited to no utility uh, is valued greater than all the other companies below that. And that's just the world we live in. It's craziness. <laughs> it's it's a complete summary of our time right now. Well, so. it, the good news is the market cap of Dogecoin is probably down 80% this year. That should make you feel better. I, I can't. <laughs> I just I just can't. I just can't. You're just done with uh, it. You know, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned Tesla earlier. Uh, there's a lot of commentary this week. You know, Tesla's way down as a stock and people want to jump to these conclusions about oh that's cuz Elon's running Twitter or oh that's because of these other things. Um, that's because Elon's selling Tesla stock because he has been uh, selling a lot of his shares. What I believe is actually happening is Tesla was significantly overvalued and still is, as we detailed on the show with basic valuation metrics. So what's happening is basically re- mean reversion is coming back to earth. And then people have to put narratives around it. And I guess that bothered me this week because there's no narrative other than it's coming back to match a valuation that's closer to a Ford or a Toyota. I'm I'm in agreement with you. I mean, the if if all that Elon did was run Tesla and then this year happened, then maybe there's more of a narrative, although I still agree with what your point. But this man also runs a space company, like chairs a solar company, runs a a, a, a tunnel drilling company right? It's not as if he was single-threaded before and now is multi-threaded. He's always been distracted. Yeah. So, And that's the point. When the stock performance went up, the narrative was, it doesn't matter. Elon can do whatever Elon wants. And now the stock performance goes down and the narrative changes to something that's convenient for that. I think it's um, selectively picking facts. That's what, again, America, <laughs> right? This is the time we live. <laughs> uh, All right. That's uh, it on my end. You got anything else? No, I'm good. Thank you uh, for joining us today. Happy holidays. Hope you have a great week. If you want to support the show, premium subscriptions are available. Uh, supercast.com. All things are at skippydougals.com. Listener mail is uh, skippydougals at gmail.com. Did I miss anything, Googles? I think that those are the big ticket items. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.